Well, thank you for that, Anna. Uh, Good morning again, church. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. We've been in a sermon series called Fruit of the Spirit. And uh, this is the second week on the Fruit of the Spirit, Joy. And uh, that is because there is so much I wanted to say last week, Joy. I couldn't quite fit it all in. Next week, I'll be talking about peace. So all summer long, we'll be just kind of working our way through the fruits of the Spirit. Our, Our scripture today comes from John 15, uh, where Jesus is teaching to his disciples in the upper room, kind of the last big teaching before he gave his life for us on the cross. This is John 15, verses 9 through 17. Jesus says, as the fathers loved me, so I've loved you, so remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So God, uh, we just... Pray that this teaching would bless and challenge and edify your community. Uh, Jesus, we, we receive your teaching <clears throat> that the joy that's available to us as Christians is the same joy you receive from your Father. And as you've received it from your Father, you've given to us, and now the Spirit lives in us. Lord God, we want to be a community where joy is unleashed in us. Not a Pollyanna joy that's somehow cut off from the reality of the world, but God, that you would be in this uh, time and place bringing your joy to bear in us as a marker that your faith in us um, is strong and that our trust in you is, is strong as well. Lord God, we love you. Open up our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts to hear you now. In your name we pray. Amen. So second week of joy, you're getting a bonus teaching. Our sermon title today is called Joy Division. Not just a band from the 90s, the title to your message today, Joy Division. Uh, Last week, I got us started on joy. I said, joy is not an emotion based on external situation. It's an internal promise given to us simply by being in covenant relationship with our Father God. Joy then isn't something we do. It's something that happens in us as a byproduct of our proximity to God himself. And thus, I said, joy is available in every situation. But the question even last week was like, well, how? I love the concept of joy of the Lord can be my strength. But, but why is it so hard? And why is it so difficult? And how are we to experience joy when things like racial unrest or, you know, maybe it's a physical uh, struggle or uh, things in our family origin where they're without resolution, maybe? How, how do we have joy then? Like there seems to be a division to our joy. So God, help us today understand where true joy comes from. Like I mentioned, there's this 90s band, Joy Division. And the stuff that we experience is like division to a math equation of like where joy is found. I don't know uh, if, if you've done any tutoring of young people, but any parents will tell you there's this thing called common core curriculum. And, and as a parent where you have kids that are in math, like, hey, can you help me with this math problem? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm college educated. I have a master's degree. I can help my fifth grader with math, but it's not so easy because this common core It's not even the result that's important for our students being tutored in this new way of thinking about math. It's the process 
So it's not just like, oh yeah, no, we don't just care now with students that they know how to get the answer. We want them to know how to do the work. And so there's things like number lines and bar graphs and every parent that had to do this, especially over COVID Zoom, you know, teaching. It's like, oh, you know, why was elementary school math so challenging? It's not just, it's not the product, it's the process. Well, I want us to think about that when we think about joy, because as Christians, we're told like, oh, we just read in the scriptures, Jesus says, my joy I received from the Father, I'm going to give you it. Like we know the end result is like, oh yeah, joy is possible. It's probable in proximity to God. But what's the process? I'm not going to make you do a number line to figure this out, but I am going to challenge us as a church that joy is especially difficult in this time and place, but it's exactly when joy feels far that the Christian should lean in and say, God's got something for me right now. Easy to find joy in the midst of the perfect 80 degree day in Seattle, but like last Monday where it's 112 or whatever, it's like, oh, it's so difficult right now. Like in the same way, in our, in our spiritual lives, in our relationships, in our job, vocation, pursuits. Like you've been promised as God's people that joy would come to you. But when it feels difficult and it feels absent, what do you do in that process? How do you lean in when joy feels divided, when you're experiencing joy division? See, the biblical truth doesn't immunize us against hurt or pain. It is possible for joy to coexist with sorrow, with discouragement. And when we're suffering, it's not a marker that God has abandoned us. Even in the midst of emotional, physical, spiritual pain, we can rejoice in the Lord. And I'm just gonna pause there for a minute because if you actually just heard me, I said something that if you don't know my heart, you can brush me off and say, this guy doesn't know my story. What I just said to you is in the midst of physical, emotional, or spiritual pain, joy can be present to you. And I know that's completely counterintuitive to your experience, but that's what we're gonna spend some time considering today. Because in the context of John 15, Jesus is spending some final time with his best friends and he's saying to them, your joy matters in every situation. And the context of Jesus' words is so key. He's giving his own funeral speech. The man is preparing to to give himself up on the cross and he knows how the story will end. He knows both the process and the product. He knows about the resurrection. They don't know. And so Jesus is spending time at this table in John 15 and 16, discipling them that in the, not just the product of the resurrection, he's not saying you'll be miserable, but then, you know, just go into a hole and wait. And then, you know, my resurrection, you'll finally understand. He says, no, be joyful. Like in every challenge, even when you have no idea what I'm doing, even when my body is hanging on a cross, I'm gonna challenge you, says Jesus, to lean in because it's not just the product, it's the process that you're gonna press against what, you know, is. you're not gonna feel happy all the time. We know that, but joy is available and joy might just be the most counter cultural marker of a Christian right now. We can, oh, can you be mad when you look at what's going on in the city? Yes, everybody's mad. Can we be hopeless? Everyone can feel hopeless. Can you feel joy right now because you worship a God bigger than the struggles that we're facing? That's the mark of the church. See, the church has been learning this over 2,000 years, that it won't always be easy, but it can be joyful. 
Like even the early church in Acts, this familiar theme emerges. There was tremendous opposition. There was tremendous opposition. You know, remember like Acts 7, Stephen is, is stoned and put to death. And then Acts 8, Saul, before he becomes Paul, is breathing murderous threats and there's persecution and the church is scattered and people are grieving and it's all falling apart. And then this incredibly curious verse from Acts 8, 8, there was great joy in the city. Joy? It, it, Stephen just gave his life. Like everyone's going everywhere. We don't know. Okay, we saw Christ alive. We know he's ascended. We don't have a map of what's next. But joy, how? Because they knew who Jesus was. And they knew that they knew that Jesus was going to be with them. And they knew that as Jesus was spreading into people's lives, that though there was disruption and conflict, there was also joy. If Christ were to work a miracle in our city, would we see joy break out? Would, would joy be a marker? As a church, we need to look around, like where is joy missing in our worship experiences, in our discipleship, in our, in our relationships? It's, a, it's an incredible word, you guys. If we had, like we could do a whole series on joy. Joy is possible in every situation by continuing to place our hope beyond our external immediate realities onto our, the eternal permanent standing with Christ. We can abide and be in Christ and in the most challenging times. And it's precisely when we abide that Christ's joy is available to us, that springs to life. Or maybe it doesn't always spring. Maybe it just barely grows like a seedling. And maybe that's enough. You're sitting there today and you're like, man, there's nothing springing up in me, Scott. Then maybe you just need to cling to the fact that joy can rise like the tiniest seedling as you abide in Christ. We're going to see the key to the joy in every situation, the cure for the joy division through John 15 and 16. But let's start here with the, with the obvious. Conflict and pain make joy really di- difficult, okay? Conflict and pain make joy difficult. This series has been highlighting what we've learned from Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so the, the result of following Jesus, these, these promises, these virtue come to life in us. These are meant to animate the lives of Christ followers. Like we're literally meant to be fruitful if we're following Jesus. And, and Paul is naming these things in Galatians 5 because uh, most scholars think that Paul had been you know, in ministry about 15 years and he kind of knew what was working and knew what wasn't working in these churches he was pastoring. And he, he listed these things to say, these are the places I want you to grow. Like you're, you're having disunity, you're having conflict. Like you need to experience these fruitful things. Jesus in Matthew 11, he, 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 he taught on this. He, he divorced the reality from positive outcomes always being connected to joy. Listen to Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people come against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Uh, falsely on my account, says Jesus. Rejoice, like have joy, be glad for your reward is great in heaven. In the same way they prosecuted and persecuted the prophets before you. So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he kind of, it's, uh, he, he builds out this staggering, you know, kind of proposition. You will be persecuted and you should have joy. We need to learn this over and over and over again. Why, says Jesus, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is teaching his disciples, joy is possible even when you're persecuted because you have an eternal perspective on your purpose and on your identity. 
And so we don't just like say these cliche statements, joy in every situation. Like that's a painful thing to say as a disciple, joy in emptiness, joy in loss, joy in pain, joy in fruitlessness. That's a big ask, Jesus. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. Are you actually asking me, Jesus, to follow you into every situation and trust that Jesus can bring joy from it? See, when joy feels far as disciples of Jesus, we're we're called to wait patiently in the pain and the hurt. Like Jesus is beckoning, beckoning us to believe that he's not abandoned us. What a, what a staggering word from the Lord. That yes, joy is difficult in certain situations, but he's still here with us. And in proximity to the Lord, as we built out last week, we will find joy. Maybe not immediately, not, not, not all the time, but it's a promise we're meant to enter into. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 through 10, where he kind of gives this theology of, of joy in the midst of joy division. Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, riots. He's just breaking it down. He's laying it all out. In hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in understanding, in patience, in kindness in the Holy Spirit and in love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, always. It it doesn't, even makes sense. And I so wish we were just in a room together where we could just slow down and build this out over like a weekend where we could just really slow down on this. But it's really important that we know that we're not immune from all of these things that Paul has just laid out. And yet we're also promised that in Christ, we're meant to cling to this really hard teaching that joy is there. Because joy doesn't just help people survive, it it helps people thrive because it keeps our perspective focused on the God who has given us everything through his presence. And so we won't get it and we'll we'll forget and we'll miss it. And then we're called to re-engage and believe the joy in every situation. Historically in America, the black church kind of modeled the way that joy could help enslave people thrive even in the midst of great turmoil. There's this term, it's called black joy. And it's used within the black community that arose when the horrifying effects of slavery in American society was ongoing. Black joy was this, you know, kind of marker that despite, you know, being enslaved, that there was an inner spirit by the power of God that could never be dominated. And in that way, joy was countercultural and joy had a, a power to supersede forces that were trying to enslave. I was reading this article by some NYU educators by the last name of People and Frost, how black Americans have adapted to the challenge of living in a racialized society in three key ways. Number one, stay focused on liberation. These are from black authors talking to to black people, but there's a teaching for the whole church in this. Number one, stay focused on liberation. Two, resist structures of oppression. And then three, cultivate joy. 
The author says this, there are going to be continued and new challenges, but it's essential that we focus on holding onto moments and pockets of joy. Love that. That's something we could learn from the black church, black joy. In your pain and hurt, turn and believe God is in this place by his presence so that joy would be possible in, in, in this situation, in any situation. So I want to move on to the second part and we'll move quickly here. I know we're on a time limit, but number two, we worship a God who proclaimed joy in the midst of suffering. That's, that's who we worship. If you return to the scripture reading today, in today's text, Jesus turns to his friends and he says, remain in my love, abide, which means like make a home here or to stay rooted. John 15, 11, Jesus says this really concretely. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The Greek word that's used throughout this text is this Greek word, kara. It's the Greek word joy. Jesus said, I've told you this so that my kara will be in you, same word, that your kara will be complete. And kara is deeper than just happy. It's bigger than an emotion or a verb that comes and goes. It's a noun. It's a bedrock image to build your life upon. And so the meaning of biblical joy is this, this calm delight. It's a gladness. This is bigger than feelings of external happiness. It's a foundation. And so it's a bit familiar to the teaching last week on joy from Nehemiah, that in the context of grief, they were given a promise on joy. The joy of the Lord becomes your strength. In the same way, John 15 is the speech in the upper room where Jesus says, my joy I received from the Father and I'm giving it to you. It's something that you don't have to create or conjure up. It's a gift to be received by the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus know suffering was coming? Yes. But did he still choose to preach kara, joy? He did. Because for the Christian, the act of joy is a declaration that our trust extends beyond the present moment to the bedrock of Christ's character. Remember our last series in James, James 1, 2, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Incredible. Count it pure joy when you struggle. Like who, who does that? No one does that. We don't do this intuitively. And I don't care if you're a paid minister or a lay leader in the church or somebody just new to following Jesus. None of us do this well and none of us do this easily. This is against our wiring a bit as being human. But it is something that the scriptures talk over and over and over again that joy will be available to us as we wrestle with the Lord, as we stay engaged, as we stay hungry, as we're looking for a perspective saying, God, would your kara, your joy, could it be my kara, my joy? I love that because it says that when I'm precisely at my most empty, the joy is the most possible. That's mind-blowing, gang. It's not like, oh, when I'm most full of joy, that's when I'm most able to connect to God's joy. No, it's when we have no joy of our own that we're most ready and open-handed and hungry to receive what God wants to give us. How do I know? Because I've been here before and you know my story, but as a sufferer of grief, we buried our son 11 years ago. And I don't like to talk about all the time, but I do need to say for those of you watching that are like, you don't know how hard it is. I don't know exactly how hard it is in your story, but I do know what it's like to be totally broken and in seasons where joy feels absent. And so church, hear me on this. We need to be sensitive with our declarations of joy. 
Because if there's people in your community, in your house church, in your neighborhood, and in, in our, like, if you're like, oh, hey, joy, you know, be, hey, consider it joy, and they're not ready for it, it can be destructive. Real love sits with people when they're not in joy and just waits. It, the scriptures talk about, you know, sitting Shiva, like sitting near, like Job's friends, like sitting near each other when people feel far from joy. It's really important that we're a church that knows how to be with people when joy feels far and not just drop cliches on them, but just knows how to be present to each other. But I know as a father who buried a son and carries that grief with me of an unlived life, that there are days, weeks, months, and entire seasons where joy feels like a really distant promise. And so hear this word from Jesus that the joy, the kara he received from the Father, he wants to give to you. And if you need some time for that to come to life in you, that's okay. Jesus is gonna be good to you. He's gonna wait with you. And as a church, we wanna wait with you. We wanna see this joy come to life, but we're not gonna rush you. We're not gonna rush you. That's the God we worship who's given us a gift like this. And so that's just where I wanna kind of end us, that this is the, the new equation as Christians we really need to live into that, that the struggles of living in the presence of God can somehow become joy. Or as the Psalm said, that though there's mourning, joy comes. Joy comes in the morning when we struggle. In John 16, Jesus builds this out a little bit more in verse 20 through 22. Jesus says in John 16, so he's, he's still in the same space. He's still talking to his best friends. He's still getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, truly, I tell you, you'll weep and you'll mourn while the world rejoices. You'll grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Kara again. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby's born, she forgets that anguish because of her kara, her joy, that a child's been born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but you, I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy deeper than happiness. You'll you'll struggle, says Jesus. You'll miss me. You'll feel empty at times. You'll wonder what in the world, but know that joy is coming. Know that that no one will take that joy away from you because when you land on that bedrock rock of Christ, it supersedes all of our earthly struggles. No one can take it away. This is a challenge for me this week. It's a challenge for us, this community, but I just wanna, wanna leave us, church, with this encouragement Like in every season, in every challenge, in every opposition, what if you were to believe that God was preparing you, that God wasn't wishing these struggles upon you, but that God can lead this present time of brokenness or hurt or whatever you're going through in order to understand his joy more fully. It's tricky and difficult. This is not, hey, don't worry about it. Joy will come. It's not. It's just not. This is caring for people that are struggling. This is hungering for more of God's presence. This is wrestling and hungering. And when we fail and don't feel joy, we just come to God again with open hands and said, God, would you allow me to experience your kara? It feels far from me. That allows us to really tune into the suffering of people around us, to see it as a way to love people even better. We don't pull away from people that, that are hurting. We tune into them. We lean in. Psalm 3011 says, you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with 
great joy. So church, just hear it. And this is why I wanted to spend more time with it than I can build out last week. God wants to grow this fruit in your life, friends. He wants this joy to come, even in the midst of the worst situations. He wants it to be grown in you as the work of God himself who will do this work as you abide in him. And I wanna just teach you a quick prayer practice as you're kind of maybe hungering to understand more of this. This is something that Heather and I've done a lot over the last couple of years, the nation prayer practice of consolation and desolation, where you can do it in a journal. You can do it with a spiritual friend. You can do it with the Lord by yourself in prayer. But in consolation, consolation is a place of total comfort or place of deep joy. So in prayer, you know, reflect on where your joy is and do that with the Lord. God, where brought me joy today? Where was my consolation? What was a moment at work or with a friend or in worship or like what felt good? God was in that. And then in a different way, where was your desolation? Desolation is a place of emptiness or destruction or barren. So bring that to the Lord. What was a place in your, in your last day or the last week of following Jesus that was devo- devoid of joy? Bring that to the Lord, a prayer of consolation, a prayer of desolation, and help God make you aware of where more joy could come to life in you. I would promise you that this simple prayer practice of consolation and desolation that in some faith communities they've been practicing for hundreds of years, this is the Ignatian practice of consolation, desolation. It's a really helpful tool for us to pay attention where the Spirit of God is bringing joy to to life in us and other places that's stealing the joy. And God's not in that, that we might be people formed to be His people, more and more joy. I just want to close with a story. So uh, I'm not a good gardener. It is summer, so I tell more gardening stories. Uh, but every year I just, I want more fruit. I want to be that guy that like pulls that zucchini out of his garden. Like, hey, do you need any zucchini? We've got 70 back here. And each one of them is like 20 pounds. Like that's not my garden. And we've kind of struggled on the gardening thing, honestly, the urban gardening thing. But a couple of years ago, we're like, oh, it's our dirt. We need different soil. And we also raise chickens. So it's like, hey, let's get some of that, some of that chicken droppings. Let's bring that in. Let's fertilize. Let's tend the soil. Let's really work. And so we went to the chicken coop and took all the manure, all the stuff that like, who would even, like, you can't even hardly take that to the dump, right? Like it's, it, there's nothing there. Like let's put it and amend our soil because we wanted more fruit. And this incredible thing happened over the days, weeks, and months ahead as, as I watched what happened in those garden boxes with that kind of just the worst stuff from the chicken coop mixed into the soil, life started to come out. And then what was surprising, there wasn't just like, oh, our veggies coming to life, whatever. There was stuff we didn't even know we'd planted, like things that we had fed the chickens. Like, I don't know, you're something like, this is too detailed biology stuff, Scott. No, but like... with. Pumpkins started to come out of the soil. We didn't plant pumpkins, but those seeds must have come from this, like the the hay and the the you know the bad soil that we thought, like oh, chicken coop. What could you do with that stuff? Like pumpkins started to spring out. Squash started to spring out. It was so surprising, and I'm not even lying to you. It brought great joy. Like that fall up our walkway, there's like 25 surprising squashes or pumpkins that came from the most unlikely place from some tended soil that was discarded from something that we thought was just kind of waste. Will you believe, church, that in midst of your messiest situations, the stuff that you just feel like, God, what could you possibly bring to life from this? That God will work in the soil of your life, friends. That God longs to bring this kara from his presence to you, his people, 
patiently as you abide in him. Thank you for tuning in today and for hearing this message. And, and as you wrestle with it, like lean into what God wants to say. Take this prayer practice of consolation and desolation. And may we hunger at his people, experience his joy, even when we're in our joy division times where it just feels like things are dividing us. May we find our joy in the presence of Christ growing in us. We pray with me now? Jesus, thank you for, for this teaching. What an encouragement it's been for me this week as I've studied it. And I just pray, God, that you would bring it to life in your people, that they would know that there are things growing in the soil of their lives they can't even see. And when joy feels hard, when division feels like it's tearing them apart, when they're not able to see the good news of your joy, God, would you be patient with them? Would you be present to them? Would you teach them to, to lean in? And God, would we be a church experiencing your joy? as a front door for evangelism, for people that are far from you to experience your saving life and power of your Holy Spirit. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Let's close.